Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders, and we have a lot to talk about once again on this week's show. Uh, you know, honestly, when we were uh, sitting there on Sunday afternoon watching the college football playoff selection show, and Florida State got left out of the CFP as an undefeated. Uh, Power Five champion. I thought we were going to have to talk about that first, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show because some massive Ohio State news dropping on early Monday morning when Kyle McCord entered the transfer portal. Ohio State starting quarterback for all 12 of its regular season's games this year is now in the transfer portal. And certainly, Andy, if, if we were sitting here a week ago, that would have come as a shock. I mean, we said a week ago we did not think Ohio State would be active in the transfer portal at quarterback, but we did think that Ohio State was going to open up the quarterback position for competition because we both agreed that while Kyle McCord wasn't necessarily bad this year, his play was not up to the standard that has been set for Ohio State at quarterback under Ryan Day with Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud. All three of those guys were Heisman Trophy finalists in their first year as Ohio State's starting quarterback. Kyle McCord certainly was not that. And so we anticipated that Ohio State would open up the quarterback position for competition. I don't think we anticipated that Kyle McCord would not be a part of that competition, but it, it sounds like the reason why he's in the portal is because he was told he was going to have to compete for the job again. And he decided that he wanted to go somewhere where he would be guaranteed to be the starter. We haven't heard that from him directly, so I don't want to put words in his mouth. But I think you can certainly infer, based on everything we've heard, that Ohio State made the decision at some point last week that you know, Kyle McCord was not going to be a guaranteed starter going into next season, that it was going to open up the quarterback position for competition. And as a result, Kyle McCord is no longer at Ohio State. Right. And it made the uh, comments we heard from Day earlier this week, you know, make more sense. You know, we had that press conference with him on Sunday and he was noncommittal to Kyle, even being the starter for the bowl game, which seemed odd at the time that he wouldn't even give that vote of confidence and you know now he probably knew this was coming you know in hindsight i think you know best of luck to kyle going forward but i i think you know the trade-off of you need to find the best quarterback that's going to lead you forward in 2024 for losing kyle when you have the resources ohio state does to go to the portal if you feel like that's what you need i think it's a worthy trade-off you know kyle did not do enough to meet the standard of Ohio State quarterback play to say, hey, he's he's our guy moving forward if you're the coaching staff. And, um, so I think it was the right approach uh, to tell him they were going to open up the competition if that's actually how the conversation went down, saying, hey, you know, we still want you here, but 
you're going to have to compete and win the job again. And if Kyle isn't willing to do that, if he wants to go somewhere else where he is assured a starting job, then, you know, all the power to him. You understand it, especially in this day and age of how important it is to get to the NIL, uh, the NFL, <laughs> NIL there, a little, little Freudian slip. Um, not in this case, that, that's not a whole part of these discussions, but you know, the, um, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the next few months of, you know, if and who Ohio State goes after in the portal and then how the, that person competes with Lincoln Keenholz and even maybe Aaron Nolan and Devin Brown. Probably should have mentioned his name first there, but yeah, uh, how, how they compete going forward. Yeah, I mean, certainly I do not think that Ryan Day went to Kyle McCord and said, go to the portal. Like, I certainly do not think this was a situation of Ohio State running him off or encouraging him to go to the portal, especially before the bowl game. I mean, to have the guy who started all season for you not even be with the team for the bowl game, that's certainly not the way you would draw it up if you're Ohio State. But the reality is, you know, the, the way the calendar is now in college football, if, if you want to transfer to find a new home, now is when you make those decisions. And I think, you know, Kyle is probably in a situation where he's probably thinking, OK, I could stay here through the spring and then potentially lose the job. And then then I have to go find somewhere to transfer in the middle of the year when there may not be as many options available for me to go in and start somewhere else. Or I can just ensure that I'm going to be a starter somewhere next year by putting my name in the portal now. And there's so many teams. I mean, we, we, we're going to talk in a minute about Ohio State, what they could be looking for in a portal. But the reality is Ohio State is a lot of competition right now because if you, you just look at power programs around college football, there are a lot of teams around college football right now that could potentially be in the market for a transfer quarterback for next year. And so Kyle is smart if if he doesn't think he's going to be the starter at Ohio State in 2024 to put his name into portal now, because, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, he's obviously someone of NFL aspirations. You know, he's a junior who has not taken a red shirt. And, you know, starting with his class, you know, we've talked so much about that extra year of eligibility guys have. Kyle doesn't have that. So he only has one more year of eligibility. And so you know, you think about what his options would have been if he didn't win the job next year. It would have basically been, okay, take a red shirt, you know, tell Ohio State you don't want to play in more than four games, take a red shirt, and then transfer somewhere else in 2025, which is obviously not an ideal scenario. And so I don't blame Kyle for what he did. Like you said, I said, I don't blame Ohio State either for telling him if they in fact did that they're going to open up the competition. And I don't blame Ohio State if Ohio State decides it's going to go pursue a transfer quarterback because, like you said, the, the standard at Ohio State is higher than it is just about anywhere else. And I think, you know, we should make sure we give McCord his just due and, and frame this conversation the right way, too. I mean, you look at what Kyle McCord accomplished in his one year as Ohio State starter. He went 11 and 1. He completed 65.8% of his passes. He threw for 3,170 yards and 24 touchdowns with only six interceptions. He may not be good enough for Ohio State with what the standard is at Ohio State, but he's good enough for just about anyone else. And I think that's going to be reflected in the interest that he's going to have in the transfer portal. And so 
There are very, very few programs in college football who would look at what Kyle McCord did this year and go, we got to go get a new guy. But that's the standard at Ohio State. And obviously, it starts with the fact that Ohio State didn't beat Michigan. Ohio State didn't make the college football playoff. You know, we were talking about this the other day. If a couple more plays go Ohio State's way against Michigan, Ohio State is probably the number one seed in the college football playoff right now. And we are not having this conversation. Or if the college ball playoff had expanded to 12 teams in time for this year, we're also not having this conversation right now. Ohio State would be preparing to play Penn State again based on the current rankings in a rematch at the shoe. And Kyle McCord would be preparing for that game. I think it's safe to say Kyle McCord would not be in the transfer portal right now if Ohio State was preparing for a college football playoff game. But the reality is Ohio State isn't preparing for a college football playoff game. They're preparing for a Cotton Bowl against Missouri, which at Ohio State, that's just not what you aspire to is playing in cotton bowls. And so Ohio State is now in a mode of thinking about what gives us the best chance to achieve those goals we didn't accomplish in 2024. And right now, that means looking to see, is there a quarterback we can get in the transfer portal who improves our chances of doing that in 2024? And you know, I think rea- realistically, there's only a select few guys out there who are really that guy. Like, you can go through all the names in the portal. Most of those guys would not be clear upgrades over Kyle McCord. I would argue that most of them are not upgrades over Kyle McCord at all. I think if I was to pinpoint one guy in the portal who I think makes the most sense for Ohio State, and I believe you agree with me, Andy it would be Cam Ward, a Washington State transfer. I think uh, he's a guy who, uh, you just look at the, the list of schools that are reportedly interested in him. It's a who's who of college football programs. So he's somebody who is viewed in the college football world as an elite talent. And I think you think about, you know, you look at what he did at Washington State, he put up good numbers there. And I think you think about if you surround him with the talent that he would have at Ohio State, what he has the potential to become. I think. You know, he's a skilled passer. And I think the thing he has that Kyle McCord really didn't have is that mobility and ability to create plays of his legs. And while Ohio State is a pro style offensive team under Ryan Day, we have seen that the quarterbacks who have had the most success in this offense are guys who, even if they don't necessarily run the ball a lot, like CJ Stroud, obviously, the conversation for years was why doesn't he run the ball more? But C.J. Stroud was fantastic at extending plays outside of a pocket and using his legs to avoid pressure and extend plays. I think we've seen in the NFL how, how big of an asset that's been for him. And that's something we didn't see much of with Kyle McCord. And so I think Cam Ward is a guy you look at. He has that combination of skill sets as well as a ton of experience. He started out playing at the FCS level at Incarnate Word where he was a star there. Then he transferred up to Washington State where he's had success in the Pac-12. And now, you know, he's a graduate transfer looking to play one more year of college football before he goes to the NFL. And I think that's the other thing that makes this a good fit too, because you know, there's some names out there like Adante Moore from UCLA who could make some sense because he was recruited heavily by Ohio State out of high school. He was a five-star quarterback of a lot of upside. But some of the names you mentioned there before, you know, we talked about it last week that, if Ohio State was to bring in a transfer quarterback, you risk upsetting the balance of that room. 
that's already started now. So now we're in a little bit of a different conversation because now that Kyle McCord's gone, I mean, you would only have three quarterbacks in the room next year right now on scholarship. So I think it's inevitable that you are looking at your transfer options at this point. But again, what you don't want to do is bring in somebody who isn't actually better than the guys you already have and then drive out the guys that you do already have. And, you know, one could argue that Dante Moore could be better than the guys they already have. He has that potential. But, you know, this is a guy who got benched in the middle of the season last year as a freshman at UCLA. He has a lot of talent, but I, I think you'd be betting more on upside than what you've already seen. And I think with him being a multi-year guy still at the collegiate level, I think you'd be at more risk of, you know, losing potentially multiple more quarterbacks in your room. You know, I I do wonder where Devin Brown's head is at right now. I mean, if I was in Devin Brown's shoes going into my third year, I would certainly want to have an opportunity to compete for the starting quarterback job next year if I am going to stick around at Ohio State. And right now, it looks like he would have that. Right now, uh, it looks like he would have that. It certainly looks like he'll have that going into the Cotton Bowl. But, you know, it's going to depend on who they bring in. You know, if they bring in a Cam Ward, you know, Cam Ward is not coming in to sit on the bench. He's probably going to be the starter next year. But when you think about guys like Lincoln Keenholz and Aaron Nolan, I think Ohio State is very high on those guys' potential. And Ohio State certainly doesn't want to risk losing those guys, too. And so I think... If we're talking about a transfer quarterback here, I think ideally Ohio State is looking for someone who can come in and improve their chances of achieving their goals in 2024 without having too much of a future ripple effect on their quarterback room. And I I think the best guy right now out there in the portal to potentially fill that need would be Cam Ward. I agree full wholeheartedly. I mean, you know, we talked about it uh, in the days before recording this that you know we both saw Cam Ward as the best option, and that you need that sort of one-year grand rental type player, right? You know, this is the modern day of college football where we're talking about player rentals, but it's become like that. You know, like the trades you see in professional sports, where a team picks up one piece for a year, and uh, that players important for that year but then you have other things in the pipeline and uh that's that's kind of the situation here you know i I think the other one you kind of float out there maybe in that similar vein is riley leonard from duke but i just don't think he's as good as cam ward is you know one person's evaluation of it i think that's your evaluation as well cam's shown to be more a more complete passer so far and he has that mobility too like you said uh and that play extension is important to you know, having a threat with the quarterback run with the legs, if that's something you can show a few times throughout the season, it opens a lot of other things up in your offense. And that's what, you know, saw that in the past with Justin Fields mentioned CJ's ability to extend plays. Obviously, he wasn't running the ball much so that that kind of element wasn't there as much. But I think that's something Cam might be willing to do. And it's just like if you can mix in a couple quarterback runs a game and put it on film, it's it's an advantage uh, schematically because you're, you're going to have you're going to it can create eye violations from linebackers to put it in a Jim Knowles term. Now, with the youngsters you have in the room, I, if Ohio State doesn't manage to hit on a big time transfer target or only gets a depth piece or something, I think the competition is still going to be interesting 
between Devin Brown and Lincoln Keenholz. Dan, I I am I'll say it now. I'm a big Lincoln Keenholz guy. I think there's a lot of people that don't realize he might be a real gem that Ohio State found late in that recruiting cycle. And you look at his athletic background being a three-sport superstar and just a winner. I, I, you know, that's a cliche term to use, but look, I think there's a lot to like about Lincoln. And I, I honestly think he could get involved in that competition with Devin Brown next year. Or even if, you know, Ohio State has to settle in the portal for a guy who's not, you know, immediate plug and play type of guy, but just competes for the job. I think if you land Cam Ward, he's probably coming to play the year uh, as the starter. And then you're, you know, that's, that's kind of the race settled, although they'll still have a competition probably. If you have to take a step back from that, though, I, I do think that Lincoln has the ability to involve himself in this competition, you know, to, to be the starter next year. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it's interesting uh, as we sit here on Tuesday afternoon, we put up a poll on 11 Warriors on Tuesday of who will be Ohio State's QB1 in 2024. Uh, transfer QB got the most votes with 47%. But the second most votes went to Lincoln Keenholz. 30% of our readers picked Lincoln Keenholz to be the starter next year, whereas only 14% picked Devin Brown. Now, in defense of Devin, we've talked about this before. People always love the shiny new toy. People always love the guy that they haven't seen have a chance to fail yet. And so I think with Devin, the play was shaky when he got in there this year. And I think that tainted a lot of people's views of Devin. I would not write off Devin yet because, I mean, Devin has not actually started a game yet. Most of the playing time he got this year came with backups in the game. So I don't think Devin has really gotten a fair shot to show what he's all about. Now, at the same time, he did have a fair shot to win the starting quarterback job all of last offseason, and he didn't do enough to do that. And so, I mean, I think obviously, I mean, obviously we see where Ohio State is at now. You know, there was a reason why they waited until the third week of a season to give Kyle McCord the starting job, and that was because they weren't sure if he was good enough. And they ultimately came to the conclusion after a full season that he's not good enough, or at least not good enough that you would guarantee him the starting job for next year. I mean, you know, because again, like I, I mean, I'm still in the camp. Like if Kyle McCord goes somewhere else next year and plays really well, I won't be surprised. I'm not saying he's going to go be Joe Burrow somewhere else, but I'm saying if he goes somewhere else and plays really well with a full year of experience under his belt, I will not be surprised. And so that's why I'm still in the camp of like, I'm not going to go all in here and say like, I'm sure this is a good thing for Ohio State because I really don't know. I think, you know, this is, you know, this. I talk, I, I've made this point to you before. This is not going from Tate Martell to Justin Fields. No matter who you get in a portal, it's, it, it's, it's not. I mean, this is a guy who was a good but not great starter leaving the program now. And whoever you bring in, assuming you do bring someone in, could be an upgrade, but is not going to be a guaranteed upgrade. I don't think there's anybody out there right now who can come in as a portal guy as a guaranteed upgrade. And so no matter, you know, there's no clear cut answer on this thing, whether you're 
if we're sitting here and talking about Cam Ward, Riley Leonard, Devin Brown, and Lincoln Keenholes, there is not a clear-cut answer of which of those four guys would be the best quarterback for Ohio State next year. If I had to pick one, I, w- I would pick Cam Ward. You know, Ry- Riley Leonard, to your point earlier, I think Riley Leonard's a really good player, too. I mean, Mel Kuyper had him as a first-round pick earlier in the year before he got hurt. I think Riley Leonard is probably going to be Notre Dame's quarterback. And so I think Ohio State is involved in that race, but I'm, I think they may be getting into it a little bit too late. And so my f- expectation is Riley Leonard probably ends up at Notre Dame, whereas I think Ohio State does have a realistic shot at getting Cam Ward. I mean, I, you know, we, we have heard that you know, Ohio State is prepared to devote significant NIL resources to landing a quarterback. And I think that's what it's going to take to get someone like Cam Ward, who a lot of schools want. And so I I do believe Ohio State has a real chance to land Cam Ward. And I think that if Ohio State can get Cam Ward, it should get Cam Ward. But I also think that Ohio State realistically can succeed next year with one of Devin Brown or Lincoln Keenholes at quarterback. And like you, I am high on Lincoln Keenholes. I think there's a lot of people who are high on Lincoln Keenholes. I think Ohio State's coaches are high on Lincoln Keenholes. And Lincoln Keenholes is a guy who hasn't been through a spring yet at Ohio State. You know, he, as you mentioned, free sport athlete, he wanted to play out his senior basketball and baseball seasons uh, at, in, in his high school in South Dakota. And so he didn't come in until the summer. That never really gave him a chance to really compete last year. But I think, you know, he's a guy with his talent. You know, I mentioned my name, Joe Burrow. It's, it's a comparison that gets overmade, but you do get it. There's a, there's a little bit of Joe Burrow there in Lincoln Keenholes. I do, I do see it. I saw it, you know, watching the All-American Bowl, just, you know, the kind of playmaker that he is both, you know, as a passer and with his legs. And I think, you know, that's something we talk about Cam Ward. We talk about Lincoln Keenholes. We talk about, you know, Aaron Nolan coming in. All those guys have some playmaking ability with their legs. I mean, even Devin. You know, I don't know that it was quite what maybe people expected going into last year, but we saw him. They used him in a red zone package as a runner. He has more of that than Kyle. And so I think that's something, regardless of which way this ends up going, I think that's one thing that Ohio State fans are looking forward to is that most likely Ohio State's quarterback next year is going to be able to do more of their legs. And I think that is something that Ohio State missed during the regular season this year. Yeah, you need, when it comes down to those matchup games, you know, you talk about beating a Michigan, beating a Georgia in last year's Peach Bowl. Those are the kinds of things, you know, the ability to extend a play and make something big happen that change games. You know, when when the talent's equated, you've got to have a quarterback that can color outside the numbers, not necessarily to win because you can have great pieces around a quarterback, but if your quarterback's going to be the reason you win a big game like that, have to have some of that ability to extend. Kyle showed it, I think, on one play against Michigan, and it was the best I'd seen him do it all year. Pressure collapsed from the outside. He steps up in the pocket, delivers a ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. for uh, how many yards it was? was 40-something, 44-yard pass there near halftime and, you know, almost got points for Ohio State. And, of course, one of the more controversial decisions from day doesn't go for it on fourth and two, runs the clock down, kicks a 52-yard field goal. You, you listening know what happened. But the that's the kind of thing we never saw from Kyle really in the rest of that game, the rest of the season. 
Like it's like you said, you know, you don't have to be Justin Fields and score a bunch of touchdowns in the red zone and have the ability to break off a 50 yarder when the defense isn't prepared to contain you. It's just have that ability to extend plays that can add another layer to great quarterback play. And it matters more in those matchup games in terms of the confidence. Again, if Ohio state doesn't land a transfer that you have in Lincoln, that you have in Devin, uh, I, I think it's, the unknown a little bit, right? Because Devin wasn't good enough to beat Kyle this year. Lincoln wasn't involved in the competition this year, and he wasn't going to be coming into the summer. That's no knock against him. Um, and, and seeing what he does with a full off season of development is going to be very interesting. But you, with if you get Cam Ward, you have a guy who's proven he can put up really good numbers at a major program. You know, we've done it already at Washington State. I think at very least has shown he's a lateral move from Kyle. And I think he's probably an upgrade based on his play. Like you said, it's not going to be a Tate Martell to Justin Fields leap. And, and just to belabor that point, you, the standard of quarterback play is so high. People forget just how rare it is to get the kind of quarterbacks Ohio State has had the last however many seasons. We, we've said that on the podcast several times, but they they aren't just out there growing on trees. There's no guarantee there's going to be one in the portal every year. And I don't think there is one this year that's a Justin Fields or a CJ Stroud or a Dwayne Haskins even. Like those are generational talents for a lot of schools. Ohio State's just happened to have three of them back to back to back. And you expect that. Now, again, I, I think Cam Ward and there might be other options out there that are upgrades from Kyle, but you're not going to go that huge leap. So, you know, just, just going back to what we've said, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how the competition plays out if Ohio State doesn't get that surefire starter. Um, because I do think that one of Devin and Lincoln with another year of development has the potential to be really good. So uh, turning our attention to the short term, Dan, are, are we confident that Devin Brown's going to be the starter in the Cotton Bowl? I mean, it, it, Ryan obviously couldn't make any comments about it knowing the news that was coming probably on Sunday or didn't make any commitments to starting anybody. But do you think that Lincoln could give him a push in bowl practices? Uh, could he fast track himself that early? I think he could. I think he could. I mean, I think if you're Ohio State, I think you should absolutely be going into bowl practices with an open mind about who your starter in the Cotton Bowl is going to be. And I think you should let those guys have a legit competition. Like it's kind of a mini competition for next year. I think that's how you should treat bowl practices is split the first team reps between Devin and Lincoln. See who performs better. That guy starts in the cotton bowl. If there's not any clear separation, give both of them some playing time in the cotton bowl. Because realistically, I believe Ryan day when he says, you know, we, we the goal is to win this game and we're going to play the guys who give us the best chance to win this game. But does winning the Cotton Bowl really mean more than getting your quarterback position squared away for next year? Probably not. Now, some of that also depends on if Ohio State lands Cam Ward before the Cotton Bowl or if they land another quarterback like that before the Cotton Bowl, well, then maybe it's not really as much of a precursor to a competition for next year if a Cam Ward's coming in in January. And so that might change the equation a little bit. But I think the way you play it is you, you you let them both compete for the for the job to be the starter in the Cotton Bowl during bowl practices. It should be a real competition between those two, and whoever performs better over that stretch 
should be your starter in the Cotton Bowl. And then you should use the Cotton Bowl as an opportunity to evaluate whether that guy is ready or at least is on a trajectory toward potentially being your starter next season. I think that's the right approach. The only question there in the balance then is, you know, how long do you let that competition play out before you ultimately have to have a new starter develop chemistry with the receivers? And, you know, we still don't know if anyone's going to opt out. Day says he expects everyone to play in the Cotton Bowl, but, you know, those decisions have not been finalized yet. We don't know if Marvin Harrison Jr. or Emeka Buka might opt out in that game. And then you, you not only are you maybe having to you're certainly having to break in a new quarterback, but you're having to break in that quarterback with some new receivers potentially on the outside, even if they've been involved in the offense throughout the year. And I guess the good news would be if it's Devin Brown, he's been working with the second team in, in, in uh, practice all year, right? So if it's the second string receivers, he's used to those guys. And Lincoln has too, because Devin's been sidelined for a while. And so Lincoln's true been working well. with the second team a lot during the latter half of the season. So there you go, right? If it's if it's Brandon Ennis and Carnell Tate out there, then they'll have some familiar faces to throw to. So, you know, th- it's a, all very interesting to see how Day is going to handle that competition uh, if there is one for the Cotton Bowl. And if there's a clear separation between Devin and Lincoln at this point, at least in the coaching staff's eyes, to where, you know, maybe we get an early call on that from day in the, in the run up to this game. So, you know, I, again, I don't, I definitely, as much as I'm talking up Lincoln on this podcast, like you said, definitely don't want, want to write off Devin going forward. Uh, the transfer is just an unknown and all this there's, there's, it's, we thought this past off season was an interesting one for Ohio state quarterbacking right now. This one is, is building up to be a pretty interesting one to again, pending who the transfer is. You mentioned that, you know, they're going to be breaking in some new starting receivers. We know they're going to be breaking in at least one new starting receiver because one starting receiver is already in the transfer portal, and that's Julian Fleming. And we've spent half an hour talking about the quarterback situation and Kyle McCord transferring, but uh, he's far from the only player who has transferred uh, over, has entered the transfer portal over the past few days. Uh, and I think certainly among the other players who have entered the portal, Julian Fleming is the most notable name. Now, I wouldn't say it's a total shock. You know, I had actually, we had been talking uh, off air and I had mentioned that Julian was a guy who I thought was a potential sleeper candidate to enter the portal. And, And the reason for that being that, you know, he didn't have the kind of year he needed to, you know, boost his NFL draft stock and be a surefire draft pick. But I, I also don't think you could guarantee Julian a starting job next year when you've got Carnell Tate, when you've got Brandon Innes, when you've got Jeremiah Smith coming in. I think those guys are too talented to, frankly, a guy who hasn't put up the kind of numbers on a consistent basis that you would expect over the course of four years after coming in as a top five overall prospect in the country. I think, I think this one makes sense for everybody. I think it makes sense for Julian to go somewhere else. I think Julian still has the talent to thrive elsewhere. I mean, if we're just connecting dots, you would think Penn State would be a very logical home for him, considering they recruited him heavily out of high school. He's from central Pennsylvania. Penn State's wide receivers were pretty awful this past year. I, I would think that would be a very logical match that would that would make sense for all parties. And I think for Ohio State, I, I think, 
you know, the future is now at wide receiver. I think, you know, if Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes are the, the caliber of players they're expected to be, those guys need to be in the starting lineup next year. I think Jeremiah Smith is a guy who, you know, you don't usually see freshman receivers start at Ohio State, but Jeremiah Smith is a rare talent. He's the number one overall prospect in the country. Assuming he signs, which, you know, there's always drama there. We'll see, you know, there's still two weeks until signing day, but assuming he signs in two weeks from today, I mean, he's a guy that has to be in the rotation as a freshman. He's just too talented not to get immediate playing time. And there has been, there, there have been some rumblings that Emeka Buka is not a sure thing to go to the NFL. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr., we fully expect that he's going to go to the NFL draft. I mean, he, he's going to be a top three pick. How could he not? But there, ha- there has been, you know, we, we've heard it a little bit that there's a possibility that Emeka Buka could stay at Ohio State for his senior year, which uh, Ohio State would certainly love to have Emeka back, and he would be a, a huge focal point of the offense next year. Because you look at it, if Emeka doesn't come back, Ohio State will most likely have a brand new batch of skill position starters next year because we anticipate that Travion Henderson will go pro. Kate Stover, the expectation is he's not going to use that sixth year, but he'll go pro. And Marvin Harris Jr. is probably going pro. And Kyle McCord and Julian Fleming are gone. So if a Mecca doesn't stay, you could potentially have a brand new group of skill position players at Ohio State next year, which, which is daunting. I mean, it, it is. I, I don't think that should be minimized because I think some people look at, oh, they got all this five-star talent. They're just going to reload. It's a lot of guys to replace. It's a lot of guys to replace. And so, you know, I think there's going to be plenty of question marks for the offense going into next season, regardless of how all this plays out. But at the same time, I, I still think the separation with Julian Fleming at this point for his final year of eligibility, it doesn't surprise me. And I think it probably makes sense for all parties. Yeah, and you know when you see Carnell Tate rotating with him in certain key moments as a freshman, it, it you know it, it kind of felt like the writing was on the wall in certain ways at certain points of the season that you know Julian, if he stays around another year, is it going to be the guy or anything in in the offense? You know, um, with the talent you have coming in, Jeremiah, I've watched quite a bit of film of high school recruits, not as much as our own Garrett Hodge or the other recruiting insiders out there but um best receiver prospect i've ever seen on tape don't think i'm breaking much ground in saying that given he's the number one overall recruit in the country and a lot of people have said that but just if ohio state is able to get that signature uh, in just you know in a couple of weeks here and hold off florida state miami who are the teams making big pushes then he's a guy that really i think no reason he can't start as a freshman he's that ready made He's that polished. You watch the catches he makes on tape, and it's NFL ball skills and high points, body control. Lots of those elements are already so refined in his game. That's why you feel confident he can start as a freshman. Whereas Mylon Graham, the other five-star they have committed in the classes, a little more raw, didn't get as much development in those areas playing you know, in in Indiana as opposed to Florida. So um, Milan isn't as much of a plug and play guy if you don't end up getting Jeremiah, if he, if he were to, if there was a signing, signing day flip there. 
So you talk about replacing all the skill position players. Seen Ohio State do it before, have new receiving cores, especially under Brian Hartline, and not miss much of a beat. But how many times can they do it? You know, they didn't do it like they usually did at the quarterback position this year. And, you know, Carnell Tate, Brandon Innes, sophomores, we've seen Carnell make some plays, but he hasn't ever, he hasn't had a game yet where he was a go-to guy who got a bunch of catches. Innes has only really played in garbage time. So a lot of unknowns with that bunch. Jelani Thurman, we expect to be really freaking good at tight end, but is he going to be ready in year two? Uh, it's a, you know, one of the more developmental positions in football there at tight end. And, or is G Scott jr. Maybe ready to finally take that big step. It's running back. We've seen Dallin Hayden do these things and look really good in these short bursts, but will he be ready to be the guy next year or maybe it's chip train, train him. There's so much unknown with the skill position players on this team to assume Ohio state can reload. Like you said, he is a little bit of a bridge, it, not saying they won't do it, but there's a lot of pieces that need to fall into place for them not to stay, take a step back in the weapons department from what we're accustomed to. Now, uh, among the other transfers, you know, uh, just running down the list here, Evan Pryor, Victor Cutler Jr., uh, you know, running back center, center Jacob James as well, Amari Abor at defensive end. Three care coat linebacker Jair Brown at corner, Ryan Turner at corner, Cam Martinez safety, Kai Stokes at safety, and Parker Lewis at kicker. Those among those guys, the only one that really played meaningful snaps in his career at all was Cam Martinez, and never was able to pin down a job, a role with the defense this year. So it, it made a lot of sense for him to transfer. The only two out of that bunch, really three out of that bunch, I guess, that I'd say guys that I... Okay, well, now looking at it, it's four. There's, there's, I'm sorry. So, Dan, from four guys from that bunch that I feel are I'm sad to see go not in the sense that the team needed them but that it would have been cool to watch their development and I think they could really make an impact at other places Kai Stokes we saw it in that spring game his freshman year uh, just wasn't going to be a role for him moving forward especially with the resurgence we saw from Malik Hartford at safety uh, it made sense for him to transfer out but a, a guy that like really showed some great athletic gifts in certain spaces and I think just never quite found that developmental track he could be really good omari abor was a guy i really liked coming out of high school and i think injuries unfortunately slowed down his progression a lot he's got a lot of great physical tools that i think could make an impact elsewhere jair brown i i think's a really good corner just the short um times we've seen him or could be a really good corner but jermaine matthews i mean special right i think we're expecting big things from jermaine so Makes sense to see him go because Jermaine passed him up this year. But I, I really like Jair Brown uh, going forward, playing some other place. And uh, then Evan Pryor, just a guy, that, you know, snake bitten, was in the running back competition last year, has the knee injury, and it never looked back to 100% from that, even this season to me. Uh, those short places we saw him in practice, even, he just didn't look like he had the same burst we saw in the spring game prior to the 2022 season. And you talk about a guy with 4-3 speed, 
another year out from that injury, he could be someone starting running back next year at a, on a power five team, I think. So those are the, maybe I'm just higher on Evan Pryor than others, but those are the guys that for me, I think could make impacts other places. Um, but none of them are guys. And, you know, I think you agree with this, Dan, none of them are guys that Ohio state is hurting to lose. They're all people pretty much that have been passed on the depth chart already. Yeah. I mean, realistically, you look at all those names you just listed. I mean, all of them played sparingly this year, and none of them looked likely to play major roles next year. And so that's why all of them are in the transfer portal. I don't think there's really a lot of mystery, if any of them, why they're in the transfer portal. And it's because they want to go play more, and they just probably weren't going to have that opportunity at Ohio State, at least not next year. You know, I think those DBs you mentioned in particular, you know, I think. Maybe the most striking thing out of that group for me was the fact that out of the four defensive backs Ohio State signed in the 2022 recruiting class, Sonny Styles is the only one of them that's still on the roster. But basically what happened there was because Jermaine Matthews Jr., Calvin Simpson Hunt, and Malik Hartford have all impressed the coaches a lot as freshmen, they had moved ahead of that second-year DB group. And so that's why those second-year DBs are moving on is because you think about who could earn more playing time next year. I think Jermaine Matthews, a good chance he's going to be a starter next year. Malik Hartford, there's a good chance he could be a starter next year. Calvin Simpson Hunt, I think he's going to be very much in the mix for playing time. I don't know that any of those guys were going to be. But uh, to your point, you know, I think Kai Stokes and Jair Brown are two guys in particular that, you know, I, I mean, Kai Stokes, I mean, he looked like a star in his first spring. And, it, and, and I'm not really sure exactly what happened there. It was a little bit surprising that, you know, he looked so good early on. It just seems like he just wasn't able to build on that. And he kind of, you know, faded out of high regard to the coaches where he went from being a guy who I think, I think coming out of that first spring, there was real thought that he could contribute and play significantly as a freshman. And then this year he really didn't play at all. And so not shocking that he made the decision to move on. Um, but certainly, you know, not what I think Ohio State fans were hoping for when you saw what he did that spring. And like you said, Jair Brown, I mean, he's a guy that I thought going into this year had a chance to earn real playing time at corner. I think he's a good player. We did see him play a decent amount as a freshman because of injuries at corner. And I thought he held his own pretty well. And so, you know, those are a couple of guys I definitely look at. They can go somewhere else. And I won't be surprised if they have really good careers somewhere else. But I'm not surprised that they decided to enter the transfer portal simply because there was not going to be a clear role for them next year going into their third year of college. No, no one, like, you know, like we both said, no surprises amongst the group. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there are more guys on this team that might have more of an expendable spot. We've talked about it, Dan. I think this is maybe the kind of attrition, more attrition than in years past that Ohio State needed. There's just some positions on the team that had some excess weight that you could shed and get pieces both for your future and for your present that are upgrades in the transfer portal, right? And you might need, you're probably going to need more attrition uh, before you get that roster space that you fully need. If you want to pursue, you know, you probably want to maybe look at offensive line options, maybe look at tight end if you're not comfortable with where G. Scott and, you know, maybe Joe Royer, maybe Jelani Thurman are. There's 
Um, you know, the defensive backfield's losing a lot. There's a lot of places you could look to uh, upgrade in the transfer portal or add depth in the transfer portal. And to do that, you need this kind of attrition we're seeing. And I expect there to be more of it, you know, as the year progresses, maybe after the spring as well, just uh, as Ohio State looks to build the most complete team it can for 2024. Uh, you know, you don't, right? I think it's a credit to Ryan too. People sometimes like to act like, you know, Ryan Day is this guy who is what he is and he never changes. But, you know, this is another area where his mentality, we've seen it start to shift. He's opened himself up more to allowing guys to leave the program and take more from the transfer portal because it's just the way the game is shifting and you've always got to be willing to evolve as a head coach. Yeah, I mean, we weren't obviously in the room for any of these conversations, but you know, my vibe would be, my feeling would be that, you know, Ryan Day and Ohio State, you know, are maybe having more tough conversations of players than they have in years past. You know, I've talked to Ryan Day about it previously about, you know, the lack of attrition in the program. And I know, you know, as of a couple of years ago, that was something he took a lot of pride in that, you know, players didn't want to leave, you know, the vast majority of players were not transferring out. And I think, you know, that was definitely a point of emphasis for Ryan Day and his, you know, first, you know, three to four years as head coach, where I think the focus was very much on player retention rather than pursuing talent in the transfer portal. But I think we saw that mentality start to shift last year where, you know, before last year, Ohio State hadn't added more than three transfers in any season. Then last year, they added nine. And so when they did that, you know, that was kind of a sign that, you know, Ohio State is is going to start attacking the transfer portal a little bit harder. And these two things go hand in hand. When you bring in more transfers, there's going to be more guys who are going to be inclined to transfer out because they're going to see, you know, like, let's we go back to those corners for a moment. You know, they're going to look and see, well, you brought in Davis and Igbenosin to take a starting job. So, you know, they're going to see stuff like that. And they're going to, in turn, become more inclined to enter the portal themselves. And like you said, I, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Now, it's still a fine line. You don't want too much attrition. You don't, you don't want, you know, to, to get so reliant on the transfer portal that you're just cycling players in and out every year because that's not going to be good for the culture of your program. But it is a business at the end of the day. And I think a lot of this stems from the fact that Ohio State hasn't achieved its major goals in three years. And when that happens, tough changes have to be made. And I think there's a realization from Ryan Day, you know, whether it be at quarterback or whether it be at the roster as a whole, that the status quo isn't good enough. That, you know, Ohio State has to be aggressive, you know, because as good as Michigan has gotten and, you know, as slim as the margins are, to, from getting to where Ohio State wants to get, you, know, you, you have to do everything you can to try to build the best possible roster. And so I think, you know, there is probably more this year of Ohio State looking at guys who aren't likely to play meaningful roles. It may never play meaningful roles if they stick around. And I think Ohio State is probably becoming less inclined to discourage those guys from a transfer portal and more inclined to, if they want to leave, 
say best of luck to you. You know, I, I don't think Ohio State is directly running players off, but I do think that Ohio State is, you know, uh, understanding that, you know, if, if you want to win national championships in a modern era of college football, you have to be aggressive in the transfer portal. You and you have to take those opportunities to upgrade your roster where you can. And you know, now we got to see if Ohio State does it. You know, I mean, just you know, just because they've lost these players doesn't guarantee that they're going to gain those players. You know, now you got to go out and actually get those guys. And I do think I came out of a press conference on Sunday thinking hmm, this is a different tone from Ryan Day. And then all the guys entered the portal on Monday and you go, oh, he already knew those guys running the portal. So he's got to he's got to sell that because he, he knows. You know, I mean, it's not like it's not like all those guys decided to enter the portal after Sunday's press conference. Like those things don't usually happen overnight. I, I think when he was having that press conference on Sunday, he knew that Kyle McCord was entering the portal. And that was why he was noncommittal to Kyle McCord as his starting quarterback for next year. And so, you know, I think he had accepted the reality by that point that there's going to be heavier turnover this year. Now it's up to Ohio State to react to that increased turnover and go get some more talent in the portal. Yes, it will be very interesting to see how their roster is built over the next few months. But, you know, a lot of talk about the future here. There is still the present for Ohio State. Ohio State's playing Missouri in the Cotton Bowl, folks. That's how their 2023 season will end. December 29th, mark your calendars. You know, it's not... The matchup that, you know, when we saw the top six released for the college football playoff, Dan, I think the matchup we looked at and said, well, okay, it's going to be, it's guaranteed to be Georgia, Florida State, and the Orange Bowl. The most interesting matchup left for Ohio State, I think, in both of our eyes was Oregon, because Oregon, Heisman candidate quarterback, and Bo Nix accomplished a lot of great things this season, obviously beat Ohio State the last time the two sides played. There would have been some interesting storylines going into that game. Instead, Ohio State gets Missouri, who is, you know, solid team, top 10 with a top 25 offense. You know, their two losses were to, you know, two pretty good teams. So you, uh, LSU and uh, Georgia there. So you, not a bad team, but, you know, not, as enticing as certainly not a college football playoff, but not even as like, you know, if you'd have gotten Oregon or Georgia, uh, someone of that caliber to, to face off with in the New Year's Six Bowl that you get. So, you know, this is going to be an interesting game also because Ohio State is shorthanded. Uh, we saw the Lions in Vegas drop from six and a half points of favorite for Ohio State to one and a half when uh, Kyle McCord entered the transfer portal. So, uh, Dan, just, you know, early thoughts and where do you see this Ohio State team at in terms of, you know, their prospects for this game? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to make any predictions on how the game's going to play out right now just because I don't know what exactly Ohio State's roster is going to look like for this game. You know, I think by the time we make our score predictions during bowl week, we'll have a better idea of, okay, who's not going to play, you know? So, you know, you know, I mean, if I, if I was to assume everybody, everybody who hasn't already entered the transfer portal is going to play, then I, you know, I, I mean, on paper, I think this is a game Ohio State should win, but it becomes, there's always the questions of, again, Will everybody play? How motivated will they be? I mean, 
for Missouri, this game is going to be a big deal uh, for Ohio State. This is going to feel like a glorified exhibition. But, you know, I, I do think that Ohio State wants to win this game. I mean, we said a lot of the same things two years ago going into the Rose Bowl and Ohio State, uh, you know, had an impressive performance, at least offensively in that game and, and won that game. And that win, you know, gave Ohio State some momentum going into the offseason. So I certainly think Ohio State wants to do the same. I mean, again, I mean, I think the obvious storyline now for this game is going to be the quarterback position. It's just what it's going to be is it's, it's going to be, you know, regardless of whether Devin Brown or Lincoln Keenholz starts in this game, I think that's going to be, you know, the, the big storyline for Ohio State is what do we see from the quarterbacks in that game? And then, you know, we'll see, you know, is, you know, is this going to be the last game of Marvin Harrison Jr.'s Ohio State career? Or is it going to be, you know, the, the chance for Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes to do what, Marvin Harrison did in the Rose Bowl two years ago and have a breakout game. You know, I think, you know, all of those things are going to factor into this. But, you know, I, you know, I think, you know, we, we were talking last week about it potentially being the Orange Bowl versus Louisville. And I do think this matchup is at least more interesting than that because, you know, you look at Missouri's offense, they, they've got some playmakers. Uh, Lufer Burden's one of the best receivers in the country. You know, he's a guy who was a top 10 overall recruit in his class, a guy that Ohio State wanted very, very much as well to be in its receiving core. I mean, you know, if Marvin doesn't play, you, you don't say this very often when Ohio State plays in a game, but Missouri might have the best wide receiver on the field, and, and that's Lufa Burden. Uh, he, he's a stud, and they've got some other playmakers too. Theo Wees is another guy who was a very highly recruited guy, started his career at Oklahoma, transferred there. He's had a good year. Uh, Mookie Cooper is a name that people will remember. He hasn't put up huge numbers at Missouri, but he's been solid. Uh, after transferring there following one year at Ohio State. And then uh, their running back, uh, he actually just won the Burlesworth Trophy as college football's best player who started his career as a walk-on. Uh, Cody Schrader, he has been one of the best running backs in the country. 1,499 yards and 13 touchdowns on 6.07 yards per carry. And so, you know, it'll be a test for the defense. I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's these kind of games are always weird because it's like we talk all year about like, you know, the tests and evaluating the team. And it's kind of like, well, this is this is the end of a season and it's not for a championship. And so it's not like, you know, you talk about like testing the defense, but there's gonna be a lot of different players on that defense next year. And so, you know, it's really at the end of the day, it's, it's just about trying to go out and win the game. But I, I do think that, you know, the, the defense is going to have to play well uh, for Ohio State to win this game. And then I think the question is offensively, do they get a spark from having a different quarterback or does having an inexperienced quarterback set them back? You know, defensively, Missouri is solid, but not spectacular. And so uh, it's a legitimate challenge for Ohio State's offense. And I don't necessarily expect huge numbers from Ohio State's offense because we didn't see that even when they were at full strength. But I, I do think that, you know, there's certainly an opening here for Ohio State to build some momentum on offense entering 2024. And you'd like to see Ohio State do it, especially since you know, there's at least a possibility that your starting quarterback next year will be playing for you in this game. And that quarterback is going to be someone who's currently an unknown commodity since it will not become court. You know, it's uh, fun to kind of reflect on that Utah game in the Rose Bowl in 2021 and look at it in the context of this year because, you know, uh, that was the last season for me that I wasn't covering 
the team. I was living in Alabama at that time, working for a newspaper down there covering high school sports. And being withdrawn from it, you know, it just didn't have the same stakes, the same meaning, the same, you know, you went into that game thinking Ohio State will sleepwalk, the fan base doesn't really care that much, etc. And then it turned into an amazing game and Jackson Smith and Jigba had one of the most legendary performances in school history and CJ Stroud was uh, had an, a very memorable performance too so you know you you might not go into this game expecting there to be a whole lot of intrigue a whole lot of storylines but you know it, it was kind of a similar feeling going into that Utah game and it didn't turn out to be the case you know it, it was the other part of it too is you know momentum is a real thing in football and you mentioned gaining momentum on offense for next year that is, you know, that's half the goal in this. You know, there's the side of it that's winning the game, and there's the side of it that, hey, this is preparation for the 2024 season, the first ever 12-team college football playoffs, getting some of our weapons uh, ready to go, you know. Um, and again, Missouri will provide a nice test with the offense that they have with those receivers and Schrader. It'll be a good test for the defense, too, and you wonder if there will be any opt-outs on that side if maybe you see some of the young players on the defensive side of the football get their own opportunities, um, or if you know it's the same bunch we've seen all season and Ohio State closes things out with you know proving that the Michigan game isn't as much of the defense that they are this year and how they gave up for you know, four scoring drives, four consecutive scoring drives in that second half of that game. I think this defense is probably going to come in motivated and Ohio State as a team is going to come in motivated because they they did it against Utah. I think there's precedent that Ryan Day teams, they have gotten up for similar games in the past is what I'm trying to say. They, um, I, I have no doubts in my mind that this is going to be a game the team is motivated to win and motivated to build momentum for the future in. Yeah, they don't want to end the year of two losses in a row. They they did that last year. They don't want to do that again. So uh, they they certainly want to get a, a victory in this game and 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 give themselves something positive to finish the year off for. Because you're right. I think two years ago we still talked all off season about the loss to Michigan after that 2021 season. But winning that game against Utah and especially with the spectacular performances we saw from some of Ohio State's offensive stars in that game, it did give you a better feeling coming out of that season than it would have otherwise. And so I think, you know, this game can do the same. And, you know, it's as simple as this. We like football, right? I think if you, our listeners out there like football. So I'm glad we get to watch one more football game this season you know basketball team's doing great and you know Andy's doing a good job covering Ohio State men's basketball right now Ohio State's women's basketball is doing well there's you know plenty of other Ohio State sports teams to watch here as well as we get into these winter months but we're excited to, to be able to watch another football game now I think we would be more excited if we were about to be watching a college football playoff game next weekend, which again, if it was a 12-team playoff, we'd be preparing for Ohio State to host a game in a shoe right now next week. And that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. So, you know, that, that'll be fun whenever that ultimately ends up happening, although Ohio State will, of course, be hoping to earn a bye in the first 12-team playoff next year. I know one team that wishes the college football playoff was 12 teams right now, and that team is Florida State. And you know, we, we, we've gone all this time without talking about it. And obviously we're an Ohio State podcast, but we got to talk about this because it's been a few days, but I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that an undefeated power five champion will not be playing 
in the college football playoff. And I understand why the committee made the decision it did, because it it, it, it was the toughest choice the committee's ever had. And to leave any of Florida State, Texas, and Alabama out of the CFP was going to be a hard decision to make. Because, I mean, straight up, I mean, there were five teams this year that really, really deserved to be in the college football playoff this year. I think you could say there are seven teams that really deserve to be in the college football playoff this year. Because in most years, 12-1 Georgia and 11-1 Ohio State are getting in the college football playoff. This just happened to be the deepest year the playoffs ever had in terms of zero or one lost teams in, in Power 5 conferences at the end of the year. And so, you know, Georgia and Ohio State have nothing to complain about because they you know, they, they had their chances to clinch CFP berths and they didn't. Uh, Florida State uh, should be livid. Uh, they, they should be livid. And I don't agree with the decision because I think that if you win all your games as a power five team and win your conference to, to, to be left out of a college football playoff is pretty ridiculous. But I also don't think by the time it happened on Sunday that either of us were surprised. And I think, you know, it was really, you know, you, you know, you, you mentioned this possibility last week and I was like, there's no way. Right. But then, you know, after we recorded, we were on the college ball playoff teleconference on Tuesday night. And Bill Hancock was asked a question about the best teams versus the most deserving teams. And on a teleconference where typically nobody likes to say anything that means anything, it was probably the most telling comment I've heard on one of those teleconferences. And Bill Hancock was very clear that they were going to pick the four best teams, that most deserving is not in the committee's lexicon. And when I heard that, immediately, it's like they, they're... They're trying to leave the door open for if this scenario happens to leave Florida State out because Florida State is on its third string quarterback and it doesn't think that Florida State is one of the four best teams. And look, under those criteria, I get the decision that was made because I do think that Texas and Alabama both have a far better chance of winning in the college ball playoff than Florida State did without Jordan Travis. You know, and I, you know, and it's, it's not an apples to apples comparison with Ohio State and Cardale Jones because when JT Barrett went down for his season ending injury, Cardale Jones came in and led Ohio State to a 59 nothing win over Wisconsin. If Florida State had won the ACC championship game 59 to nothing, they'd be in the college football playoff right now. I have no doubt about that. Because the fact that they really didn't look like they could do much of anything on offense that led the committee to say, you know, Texas and Alabama are, are, are better teams and they should be in it over Florida State. But I, I still think it absolutely sucks for Florida State because they did absolutely everything within their control to earn their spot in the college ball playoff and they had to take it away from them. So, you know, I, I think it sucks for the Seminoles and it, it just makes me quite honestly feel validated in the takes that I've had all along, that the 12 team playoff is good for college football because, you know, the argument in the past has been there, there wouldn't be enough good teams to fill out an expanded playoff. Uh, you know, but again, this year, I mean, I think, you know, you, we could argue on eight versus 12. I think you'd have at least eight deserving teams this year. You know, you put Florida State in, you put Georgia, Ohio State, you put Oregon in. You could also argue Liberty should be one of those teams. Liberty's 13 and 0. So I think you could easily have an eight-team playoff this year where everybody's worthy. And I think even a 12-team playoff, you add Penn State, Ole Miss, Missouri in there, 
I don't think that's a big stretch. And so it makes me very glad that this is the last year of the four-team playoff because I don't think anybody can argue that leaving an undefeated Power 5 champion out of a college football playoff is good for college football. But Andy, I do know that you've been a little bit more hesitant than me on playoff expansion. And so I'm curious on your opinion on all of this and whether it has changed your opinion at all on playoff expansion. Yeah, you know, I don't ever think as as much as we've talked about the playoffs and the expansion to 12, I, I and uh, both here and in, in our work group messages, you know, I, I don't think I've ever really laid out my complete thoughts on the matter. I since four was a thing, I was I thought it should have been bigger. I was always eight was always my number. It's been my number since 2014. It's still my number now because of this exact scenario, which, you know, I thought would come up at some point just happened to be in the last year of the playoff that, you know, you have five power conferences and then you end up with if all five champions are one or no losses and they're all deserving, then who do you, you know, who gets that fourth spot and you're trying to actually determine who's the best team in the sport. You know, you have to have that team included, right? And so it really did come down to best versus most deserving in this instance. And, you know, it's it's best is also a very qualitative thing when you're arguing. There's metrics you can look at for teams, but, you know, not to not to get too off the topic here of uh, as far as. So eight was the number for me because I feel like there it's rare very rare in years that any there's more than eight deserving teams um this might be the first if you argue oregon and liberty i guess this is kind of the first year you get there often in those 10 and 11 spots because you know the 12 team format it's going to be the it's going to be the top 11 basically and then whoever the best group of five team is unless their group of five is already in that top group and then it would be the top 12 it's rare that you get a deserving team in the like 10 and 11 spots you a lot of times there's three lost teams by the end of the year that are in those spots and to me college football one of the things that's always set it apart is just how important every regular season game becomes for title contenders because if you lose one as you saw this year, you could be out of the hunt. In the 18 playoff, the true top of the sport could now afford to lose a game, but it becomes really hairy if you lose two. The other thing with the 18 playoff is my the idea is you have the first round at home, just like it is in the 12-team format, and then you have the bowl games from there, which adds some more intrigue to the regular season. But, you know, some of that intrigue's taken away both in either format now. If you're if you're taking the four best power conference champions for those top four spots, it kind of sorts itself out, right? So to say the regular season isn't going to lose value because of this expansion is not true. Now, the playoff itself might get more exciting. That's the trade-off. You have 12 teams, more invitation for chaos. We've all seen upsets in college football. I think people that say, you know, the, the group of five teams never going to win a game, that's, that's a, little, it's a little foolhardy. I think there, there, there will be chaos in this, and it will be a fun tournament to watch. I just think for me growing up, one of the things I always appreciated about the sport is going away when you go to this many teams because now Ohio State, 10 and 2, they're in no problem. You know, it's, it's not even a, it's not even, and when's the last, Ohio State hasn't gone, 
had that bad a record since 2011 when they had an interim head coach. You know, a lot of those, the marquee programs, there's no longer that same value on every regular season game where it's, you know, do or die for the entire season. So that's, that's why I've always liked eight, but uh, there's no perfect number. I'll, I'll readily admit that too. And I think it definitely needed to expand. So I'm glad it's expanding. I would prefer 12 to four. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I don't disagree with you on that. I think eight would have made a lot of sense. And so I'm not partial personally to the 12 team number. I think 12 is actually a little bit weird, you know, of having, you know, four teams getting by. And, you know, one thing I will say is like four of the people, I think some people like genuinely enjoy like the whole college football playoff debates. Like those are still going to exist because there's going to be debates over buys and seating. You know, I, I don't think the debate over, that 11th team is going to be as intense as it is for the fourth team. Because like you said, I mean, even if you look at this year, like the Penn State, Ole Miss, and Missouri really belong in a college ball playoff? Probably not. But I will take that over a team like Florida State getting left out. And so I, I do think that the playoff expansion is going to be a net positive for the sport. Uh, I'm glad that a 13-0 and uh, Power Five champion is never going to get left out of a college football playoff again, but it is what it is for this year. And uh, you know, unfortunately for you know Florida State, the damage is done. Uh, I know there, there's you know legislators trying to protest it, but I don't think they really have any legal recourse to to change things at this point. And so, you know, unfortunately, it is what it is for Florida State. But you know, I do think that it is going to be a very interesting. Final Four this year with Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama. I think you have four teams that all have a realistic shot to win the CFB this year. I don't think you have any clear favorites. So I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Andy. Let's make our early predictions. Who wins the CFP semifinals and who wins the national championship? Semifinals. I am going with. You know, this is tough. I actually really haven't thought about it too much. Um, I, well, I can start. I, I can start while you go think. ahead. Go ahead. You know, go I ahead. people know I've been high on Washington all year. And so I am going to roll with Washington over Texas, which I think will please some of our listeners because I don't know that Quinn Ewers has a ton of people rooting for him in Columbus right now. However, my other predictions are not going to please you because I picked Michigan to win the national championship before a year. I went against that prediction two weeks ago when I picked Ohio State to beat Michigan, I'm not going to go against it again. I think Michigan beats Alabama, and I think Michigan wins the national title. Solid picks. And I think, honestly, I'm expecting three really good games in these playoffs. I think these teams are more evenly matched than people are giving credit for. All have accomplished a lot of big stuff. I know Ohio State fans want to write off this Michigan team, but they're, they are actually really, really, really good. Like they, <laughs> they have one of the best teams in college football this year, and it you know, there was a reason that game was so close. I think that for me, I am going to take Michigan over Alabama in that game. I think Michigan's defense is Alabama offensive line for a couple years now. Hasn't been what it's been in years past. And Michigan has the speed and the scheme on defense to contain Jalen Milrow. Uh, that's going to be the key to the game for me is not 
his legs are the thing that could make the difference for Alabama and have in a lot of big games. If you can keep him contained, like Michigan's chances a lot there. Um, I've been going against your Washington picks all year. It's worked out for you. So, uh, you know, I'm going to keep the trend going. We're, 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 I'm riding with Texas. Texas over Washington. Uh, I got a couple of buddies also that are huge Texas fans, and I, they're kind of the team I'm secretly rooting for in these playoffs just because – I don't know. They they feel fun to me. I, I Quinn Ewers is Quinn Ewers is fun. Texas is fun. You know the whole hook, the hook on whatever. You know we'll uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll jump on the Texas bandwagon for the CFP, and then I'll take staying in that vein. I'll take Texas as my surprise national champion. Um, Man, there's going to be a lot of conflicted people in Columbus if they have to root for Quinn Ewers to beat Michigan in a national championship game. <laughs> yeah, it's just the thing. I just don't. You know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have anything against Quinn, so I, you know, no, I don't either. But I know a lot of Ohio State fans do. Right. So yes, yes, it's it's going to be a lot of conflicted things in Columbus, you know, seeing if, if if Quinn hoists it. But I think they'd rather see him hoist that trophy than Michigan. Yeah, I think I think in this rivalry, I, I don't think there's going to be many Ohio State fans rooting for Michigan, and so uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch those games play out on January. First, I said, but one thing, but one thing that is good, I think, from our perspective for the Cotton Bowl is like we get to get back. I know, like some people, you know, on the beat wanted the Fiesta Bowl. The one thing I did not like about that is that we would have been working, covering the game, and not actually able to watch the playoff semifinals. So I am glad from our perspective that we're going to be able to get back and watch those playoff semifinals because while it would be more fun if Ohio State was in them, I'm still looking forward to watching them because I think they are going to be very interesting games. No shortage of stuff to talk about on RailPod Wednesdays this week. Uh, Still going to be plenty to talk about here over the next few weeks for sure as uh, we count down to the Cotton Bowl. As you mentioned, we're just two weeks away from National Signing Day and uh, certainly we expect plenty more activity. Uh, you know, we, we've seen a lot of going in the transfer portal. Maybe we'll see some coming in the transfer portal. And so, uh, we will talk about all of that once again here on real pod Wednesdays next week. Thanks for listening in and we'll talk to you soon.